Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you, well, you are probably really awesome, and I hope you are having a great day. And you can also go check out everything that we are up to at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we are talking about backcountry education. And actually, we are also talking about, you know, some very highfalutin terms like pedagogy and effective teaching. And the fact that sometimes we can be factually correct, but still not package things and package instruction in ways that drive home information in the most compelling or lasting ways. And since we are on the brink of another winter here, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we always like to start getting people thinking about backcountry education and safe mountain travel. And today we've got a new option for you in the kind of curriculum, you might say. Our guest today is IFMGA certified guide, Mark Smiley. And Mark is also the founder of Mountain Sense. Now, the URL for this is mtnsense.com. And if you go to mtnsense.com, what you will find are a number of videos on different topics related to safe mountain travel and backcountry education. And not only is Mark incredibly experienced in the mountains, he has created this rather enormous catalog of online courses, they are online videos, that I think many people will find quite compelling. So in my conversation with Mark, we get into the question of whether Mark views the Mountain Sense videos as a complement or as kind of an alternative to some of the other courses and certifications out there. That's an interesting conversation. But the other thing I just want to mention before you listen to this conversation and see what you think is that, well, after Mark and I got done with this conversation, and actually we were about to say good day and get back to our weekends, Mark extended the offer for Blister members to get 40% off of four of Mark's snow courses over at Mountain Sense. And so we are going to include a link to those four courses in the show notes of this episode, and we'll also put them on our website under the Blister member benefits. But frankly, that is a hell of an offer. And so if you are a Blister member or would like to become one, you will get 40% off of four Mountain Sense snow courses, and that deal is going to last through this winter season. But that's not all, folks. If you are, I don't know, I'm just going to say it. If you are not smart enough to have become a Blister member, well, Mark has something for you too. For non-Blister members, you can still get 30% off of any Mountain Sense course through the month of October 2022. So that offer is going to end at the end of October 2022, but... As we like to say around here, smart money says just get the Blister membership, get the bigger discount, get a ton of other discounts on gear from all kinds of gear manufacturers, get a discount on our Blister Summit, get a copy of our Buyer's Guide. There's all kinds of perks and you can learn more about those. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to this episode, but you can always go to the navigation bar of our website where it says blister member info. Now, just before we get started here, I wanted to say one other thing about our upcoming blister summit. We have been asked by a number of people if they really don't need to bring their skis to the blister summit. And our answer is yes, just leave your skis at home. We will have a ton of skis and there will definitely be more skis to test during the summit than you are going to have time to test. It's part of the fun. It's also kind of part of the challenge. There's going to be a lot of very cool things to get on at the summit. 
And furthermore, it's not just skis that you're going to be testing. You will also be able to test ski boots and goggles and apparel and packs and more. And maybe you're asking, well, what brands are going to be at the summit? And I can tell you that. Currently, the brands include Forefront and Rossignol Flylo Wagner Custom Skis, Folsom Custom Skis, Line, Dinastar, Glade, Ordevox, Deuter, Renown, Head, Majesty, Moment, and there are going to be many more. This third Blister Summit of ours will be held in Mount Crested Butte, February 12th through the 16th. So you can head to our website, blisterreview.com, to learn more or check out the show notes of this episode for a link to our Blister Summit registration. Okay, that's all the notes we have on that. And now let's talk about mountain safety and backcountry education with IFMGA Mountain Guide and creator of Mountain Sense, Mark Smiley. Here we go. Well, Mark, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing good. I'm in Greece right now, sport climbing with the family, and we're extending summer for about, I don't know, a month or so. Are you going to be in Greece for a month? One month. We're going to be two weeks in this location and two weeks in another location. Are these undisclosed locations, Mark? Oh, no. I just don't know how to say them very well. Um, <laughs> Leonatus and it's like 300 Leonatus. And then also, uh, I always want to say Kamloops, but it's Columnos. Columnos. Yeah, it's a little island and it's all sport climbing, limestone, tufas. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. It's my first time here, so we're we're really psyched. Yeah, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're doing well at life at the moment. Yeah, we we uh, we definitely try to pack it all in and put the kids on an airplane. And it turns out kids are pretty pretty flexible. Jet lag is no fun for anybody. And but uh, now we're here and we're doing it. That's great. Well, hey, we've got some big topics in front of us today. And I'm really happy to be having this conversation as we are on the brink of a winter season in the Northern Hemisphere, but always good topics for us to be bringing back up and having front to mind as we uh, are, well, traveling in the mountains at any time of year, but um, maybe especially when we start moving into things like avalanche terrain. So, but before we get into all of that, I'd love to have you tell us more about your own background. And I think it'd be interesting to have you take us way back, you know, so we can see the full run up to even how an individual starts thinking about like, maybe I'll go get a IFMGA certification, stuff like that. So let's, uh, let's hear more about your own background, Mark. I was uh, born in Indianapolis and grew up there actually we did high school and went to college at Purdue and and was just it was probably middle school I think where I got into climbing and by that I mean I got my first public you know first rock and ice magazine and it was like wow these guys have you know all this cool stuff and it's like this is so amazing and we'd have you know there's one rock gym at the time and I'd go there spend all my money there and I was in Boy Scouts as well throughout middle school and high school. And so we'd go down to Kentucky and climb there and actually rappel there uh, more than climb. And we do family road trips out West. And so then summers of college, I worked in Buena Vista, Colorado, and I was a raft guide and they did backpacking and rock climbing trips as well. So that got me into guiding. Uh, it was a good entry, I guess. It's a good starting point. And then after college, I got hired to work on Mount Rainier as a guide. And taking people up and down that, called a Big Snowy, was my first real guiding job where it was, you know, it was consequential terrain. It was, you know, huge, 9,000 feet of climbing. And, and um, that 
And then on days off, I was going into the mountains with the other guides and we were just hungry. Um, and did rock, rock climbing road trips after that time off that kind of, cause it was all seasonal work. And then I started doing AMGA stuff, American mountain guide association stuff in 2006. And that took me eight years to get through all of that guide training. So I did the Alpine, did the rock, did the ski, and somewhere along the way there, I started my own guide company and taking people to South America primarily. And since then, I've taken people kind of around the world, several different countries, skiing, climbing, uh, and everything in between, I guess, to, you know, all again, seasonally dependent. And yeah, it's, yeah, I guess it's been kind of a wild ride in terms of. <laughs> <laughs> the mountain guiding mountain guiding life it's, it's made me you know i've gone to places i'd never go to before and seen things i'd never see had i not been on the clock um and that's been really great hmm. so climbing was kind of the first entrance and first passion into the mountain stuff when did the skiing part of this come up i skied probably 25 days before I moved to Gunnison, actually. And that first winter in Gunnison, I doubled, like I skied 50 days from, I think I moved out there like after New Year's to the end of the season. And I was a, a roof shoveler, actually. That That's how I got my pass. Mm -hmm. And so shoveled roofs and with Wild Bill and <laughs> Andy Selvik. And, and that was that was the start, you know? So then I was in it and I loved it so much. Like I was so into it and I sucked so bad. <laughs> I just, you know, like that's what I also met my wife and, and she was like, wow, you ski like you're from Indiana. And it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? Is that, <laughs> is that a compliment? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so the skiing came along after and going through the AMGA process, I thought I was just like top dog and I got failed because of my movement skills or lack thereof. And so then I got a job as a ski instructor at Jackson Hole uh, when we moved from Crest Butte to Jackson Hole. And that changed the ski game for me totally because we were being taught by the top tier instructors and they could, you know, they could watch two turns and be like, you should try this. And then you're like, wow, that actually worked. And now I, I have more confidence at higher speeds and that's sweet. And, and that's really when it, my skiing bumped up. And then I kind of fell in love with this idea of becoming a better skier and, and walking into this idea of like, I enjoy it, but I could be better. And you can always be better. And that, that's been super fun to just be like, all right, what's next? How do I, you know, how do I do moguls faster? How do I air off this, you know, this, was that 50 foot cliff? No, that was 12. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. It's 12, it, you know, it's, it's bigger than 10. So that's, yeah, that's when skiing came in. So I'm a, basically an adult learner in terms of skiing. Mm -hmm. Before we move on to these other topics, I always like asking you talked about you went to Purdue. What did you study? And do you still feel like whatever that field of study was is relevant to what you have gone on to do? It would be super interesting to do like an A-B test, I think. Like have Mark without college, Mark with college mm -hmm. and see the, the differences now that it's been 20 years since college. And I, so I studied business management and I think it kind of helped, but I don't know. I mean, what else do you do when you're 18, 19, 20 years old besides get in trouble unless you're, I don't know. But I, thankfully I worked throughout college. I was an RA and, and at Purdue, they, they gave you a full ride and my parents were in a position where they're like, you have to go to college and we're not going to pay for it. <laughs> and so I like my entire childhood was like college, you know, money. And it wasn't as expensive 
in 2000 to 2004, but it was still huge amounts of money. But I was able to graduate from college with minimal debt, five, five grand. So basically nothing. And that gave me the freedom to then do what I, I wasn't beholden to like, oh, what's interest rate, you know, like that shocker. And so I could play a little bit more and and do this guiding thing and make 80 bucks a day and be fine with that because I didn't need more than 50 bucks a day. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Basically, what I took away from that was the best part about college for you is it basically kept you out of prison. That's what I heard. (laughs) So, you know, kept you off the streets. Yeah, and I made some good friends there, you know, but my my hope is that college won't be a reality for my children. Like, it'll be nice if you want to do it or if you are really passionate about doing a vocation that definitely requires college. But doing this, like, get your bachelor's, it'll be good for you thing. Just because. Just because is... I hope that's well in the rearview mirror by the time my kids are there because it's so expensive. It's crazy. It's so expensive. And I, I, and then we'll move on, but I just think universities and colleges can be such an amazing opportunity. So go in with intentionality. If you're that kid who's just like, I don't know, I'm kind of here because my parents told me I had to go to this thing. I don't think that is the right mindset to go really take advantage of the professors, the resources on a campus. So I'd rather, I tell people, wait, don't go until you're like, this is what I'm passionate about learning, even if it's a general thing. But I think we're kind of in agreement on that one. Don't, it's it's not a good use of time or money just to go for the sake of like, I guess I need to have it on a resume that I like actually did my time in college as if it was prison. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I mean, I'm in agreement in, in the sense of like, if your parents are paying for it, definitely go. If you're paying for it and you're accruing all this debt, definitely do not go. I think that's where the line is drawn in my mind anyways, because if you're, people are graduating with 30, 50, $100,000 of debt for a bachelor's degree that nobody cares about once you're done. That you're just so behind the eight ball now for a long time because good luck getting a hundred thousand dollar a year job, you know, like with a bachelor's degree. Like, I don't think so. But I will say though, for me, it was before college, I was shy about talking to people. After college, it was a definite difference of I could talk to anybody and say, Hey, I'm Mark, how's it going? And there was a, a confidence there. Now, did that come from college directly? I don't know. But that was, wasn't was there before. It was thereafter. Hmm. So for whatever hmm. that's worth. All right. Good analysis. Good breakdown. Let's talk about Mountain Sense. This is going to be our entrance into a broader conversation about kind of the current state of backcountry education and mountain travel, safety, and education. But let's open this with um, something you are doing called Mountain Sense. What is it? So Mountain Sense is a website where you can enroll in online tutorials that are video-based and teaching you a specific topic, whether that's rock climbing, anchors, or backcountry skiing, technical stuff, avalanche. There's, There's seven courses right now. And it started by, uh, I was actually guiding in Peru and had climbed the mountain. We were trying to climb Alpamayo and we were having a rest day at high camp and there's nothing to do hanging around at 18,000 feet. And the two clients were really psyched that they had done it and they're like, what's next? And it was like, well, what about Denali? And so they started peppering me with questions because they wanted to do it without a guide. And so I just started writing down their questions And that started the first uh, course of that I created in 2017. And that was how to climb Denali. And so it was just like, all right, I've done this five times and here's what you need to know. And I had a bunch of footage because I'm always shooting footage. And so it wasn't like me just standing in front of the camera and doing a PowerPoint slide. It was like, here's me at 14,000 feet. Here's me at 17,000 feet. 
and that kind of thing. And so it brought it, it brought the viewer in and it gave them a sense of empowerment more than anything of like, okay, if, if something's knowable, I think I know it, I'm still going to have this great adventure and here we go, you know, cause the mountain's always going to throw something that you weren't expecting at you. And, and so from there, I've been, yeah, yeah, just building out more courses and I love it. You know, it's fun to teach. It's fun to be able to edit my ums and like, you knows and everything out so that it's like clean and tight and yeah. So that's mountain sense. So this is one of the big things that I wanted to talk to you about, which was basically whether you view mountain sense, let's keep it back to say 2017 when you were just starting it, right? So things may have shifted or evolved. We'll get, we'll get to that. But did you view this as a complement or a supplement to other types of training and courses and certifications out there? Or did you really see this as an alternative to those things, right? And if if that point was too subtle, you know, a complementary product or a competitor product, because you didn't think that some of the other options out there were presenting this information or getting it across as effectively as you thought it could be done? I think of it as a supplement for sure uh, in, in a lot of ways because I don't think that there's any type of learning that's bad. You know, like you can read a book and you can grab something. You can talk to somebody, you can grab something. And my goal with it is to make it the best time and money that you can spend to acquire that given topics knowledge and and so I've really you know looked hard I've talked to a lot of clients about these different topics and I feel very comfortable teaching them in a way that that I saw clients get and there's you know their whole whole thing of pedagogy and how people learn and video is so powerful because it's visual i can flash up text you can hit repeat you can play it faster if you're feeling bored you can play it slower if you're you know you can download it and watch it on a plane i mean it's there's so many cool things about online learning if it's done well and by well i mean boiled down, edited tightly, and actually entertaining. You know, like, I don't want, you know, like, I don't want to just be factual, like you're, I'm reading the Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever. I want it to be fun. I want it to be like, because this stuff is fun. I'm not, you know, like I'm teaching recreational sports that people want to do on their own, and I want them to do it better. And, and so then I can also pass it through the filter of like, what did I want to know when I was not knowing anything, thinking I was knowing everything. And, and so that's, I mean, it's, yeah, super fun. So let's have you break it down a little more specifically for us. So people can go to mtnsense.com, walk through what they will find today, and maybe talk a bit about like, who should be interested in this? Like, who is the audience? Yeah, so on the main homepage, you'll see all the different course offerings. And so it's alpinism, it's rock anchors, uh, rappelling, avalanche safety, ski mountaineering, and smartphone navigation, I think are the ones right now. And when you enroll in a course, you just you get this whole library of videos that are sequential and you're and they're broken up into little bite sized chunks. And so some of the courses are a couple hours long and some of the courses are the avalanche course is seven hours long if you just punch right through it. And you can watch it at 2x speed if you can take that. But that's for psychopaths. We should, we should pause on that for a second. I have very strong feelings about this. Basically, I think only serial killers listen 
to like podcast or watch videos on 2x speed? What's your yeah. personal is this is this is listening at 2x a sign of efficiency, a sign of someone who is out there not wasting any time soaking in as much knowledge as possible or do you think they go home and like skin the flesh off of human beings like I believe? <laughs> I think they probably have a taste for flesh to some degree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. At um, least a taste for flesh. They're definitely not a vegetarian. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I would say that the two X speed is for second time watching. So reviewing. And that's, I've gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of people of like, what's, you know, I love that I can watch this stuff year and again, you know, that like, I'll come you know, Thanksgiving, I'm going to watch it. And it's, it's awesome. Cause I forgot how, and I've done the same thing where it's like, how did you do that one rock climbing thing where you pre-thread the anchor and you're lowering, you know, in this situation, I never get myself into, but I know on this particular route, I'll use that and it'll save me five seconds or something. I can just go and two X speed that. And it's perfect. I would say most of the time, you know, it, different people talk at different words per minute. And for me watching myself and reviewing these things, I'm, I'm, my default is like 1.25. See, I knew yeah. this about you. You, you actually have a little bit of a taste for human flesh. You just kind of, <laughs> you just kind of admitted it. So it's fine. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, well, chicken flesh, I definitely like <laughs> okay. and beef flesh. I'm, I'm okay. a fan of, Okay, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it's just, it's just so cool that you can do that because I've been, how many times have we been sitting in a room with a presenter or whatever? And you're just like, I am so bored right yeah. now. Can you, can I fast forward this please? You know, and maybe that's post COVID me talking that that wouldn't ever be a thought before. But I mean, zoom calls are just awful. PowerPoint awful. That's not how we learn. It's not how we do life. And like, I mean, like take a podcast, for example, I'm a big podcast junkie because I can be driving, I can be running, I can be, you know, anything with my hands and, you know, and eyes and, and be listening. And I love that, that, that vehicle for knowledge, for a conversation. It's just, it's so powerful. And so when you put the video with the audio, the learning, you know, you're hitting several of the ways that we learn and, and then there is text a little bit, but not much. I tried to really, this is for people that don't want to read a book is mountain sense. And so I've taken online courses where like, Hey, this is online. And then I'm reading a screen and it's like, uh, this isn't what I, this isn't what I want. I want to just hit play. And so in a nutshell, I say, you know, if you like reading the Harry Potter books, probably not for you. If you like watching the Harry Potter movies, Totally for you. This I love is, that. This is <laughs> that's yeah. your that's this the is, mountain this is sense. Where it's at. That's the mountain yeah. sense marketing angle. It's all about exactly. actually Harry Potter and whether you want to read the books or watch the films. I've actually done right. neither. Is that I haven't bad? either. Actually, okay. no, no, okay. I, I don't. Yeah, it's. I should probably use switch that to like Last of the Mohicans because that was my favorite movie as a child, like in high school or whatever. And then I tried to read the book, and it was like, oh, this no. is yeah, Not bad. It's bad. And that's Mark's review of Last of the Mohicans, the book. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty bad. Okay, so I think that was... Did I answer your question? Yeah, with the... About the psychopaths? Yes, and you are one. <laughs> compliment. I, I, you know, like people, people shouldn't be like blindly saying, oh, I'm going to enroll in Mountain Sense. I don't have to learn anything ever again besides what Mark teaches me and the other people that help teach, you know, in these courses. That's that's not the thing. If anything, it's like it's a very concise way to show you what you can know from a screen and you can practice and people do. And it's awesome. They bring their friends over and they have like a Mountain Sense night to do crevasse rescue. I didn't mention that, that was another course I have there just to pause you mark yeah so there is literally a course called crevasse rescue made easy so just to kind of flesh this out for people before they get on the the site so that's what we're talking about we're not talking about you know the analysis of snowflake crystals right like we have like this is how you rescue someone out of a crevasse yeah and and like how i learned it was from a book 
and that book is what everyone had, you know, published by the Mountaineers. And you're you're trying to learn these knots through a series of photos, like a comic strip, and you just don't learn. You know, nobody learns that way. And and then you bring in YouTube, and it's like, okay, well, who doesn't learn from YouTube? Nobody. Like, there's everything on YouTube, but what it lacks is both credibility and a progression and feedback from the from the author, which you get with the Mountain Sense um, enrollment. And so if you're going along in any video, you can just type in a question and I get an email and I try to get back, you know, pretty quickly, like within 48 hours for sure. And so then you have a well thought out question and you see other people's questions as well. So if something is a common question, you know, one person asked it two years ago and you're seeing that same, you know, ask and, you know, the Q and the A. Mm -hmm. With Mountain Sense courses, I'd love to hear you try to talk about how much of the information in these courses are new takes on some old topics or would you say that this falls in line with some of the best practices best thinking that we might find from other certifications or courses so the emphasis really is in the medium right the the video the the well done well-edited video, the presentation, rather than the information itself being pretty different. How would you assess that? I would say it's probably 20% new stuff, 80% stuff you could find somewhere else. And the 20% is, the the analogy I like to use is sex education. (laughs) Okay. Okay, there's There's one camp that teaches abstinence and that is 100% effective. It totally works and it can work for people that choose that option. And then there's the second camp of this is what a condom is. And it's not as effective as abstinence, but you know what? We know that you wanna do this dangerous thing that's pretty fun. So here's a banana, here's how you put the condom on. And now there's a lot of risks. And so I found that a lot of instructors wanna teach abstinence when it comes to these inherently dangerous topics. That is avalanche, that is alpine climbing, that is rock climbing, rappelling and traveling on glaciers. You cannot remove all the risk, no matter how smart or educated or experienced you are, but you can do it a lot safer if you know how to see a problem before it becomes a problem. If you are, you know, uh, at least educated, uh, you have knowledge of what you should be looking out for, as opposed to blindly being ignorant and just, you know, hoping. And so that is the 20% that I think people really lock onto and, and are like, wow, that was great. I love this tip that you gave me. I use this all the time. Um, you know, I, no one ever taught me that before, that type of thing. So do you have a good sense of who is coming to Mountain Sense? Is it does it skew pretty heavily toward quite inexperienced people that are like, I am interested in mountains, would love to start getting into them? Or is it does it skew very experienced folks? Or does it truly kind of run the gamut or run the spectrum? I, I don't have, first of all, I don't have a way to actually measure what somebody is on that spectrum. Because somebody that knows what skis are would say, I'm a skier, right? Like when I work with clients and I call them up and say, hey, you've been assigned to me for tomorrow. Let's go out in the Tetons and go ski touring. What is your ski ability? Universal answer, I'm pretty good. And it's like, that could be you got a silver in the Olympics last year or you just skied down your first black diamond in Michigan 
And now you're pretty good because compared to the other people that you skied with, you didn't fall down six times. And so, and that's fine. Like, but that's, that self-assessment is impossible. And so to answer your question, I think people fall right in the middle. You know, they're, they are, they have enough experience that they have maybe had a close call or they had a friend that said, wow, you're, you know, you, you need to learn this and they're like what do you mean and okay or or maybe they're just hungry for that next step maybe they have a friend that's a guide or is has really done the work and and spent the time in one particular activity and they want to you know level level up i've also interacted with uh mountain sense students that have a new relationship and you know they want to get their boyfriend or girlfriend into it and and they're not into it but because they're in this relationship and this other person likes that thing like okay let's you know let's let's bump it up let's bump up our game and but yeah i mean everyone everyone thinks that they're pretty good myself included you know like uh, you know skier i'm pretty good you know and that's so that's for me you know cuz it, it and it's for people i think the other the other universal thing about the students of mountain sense is that they're hungry to learn what they don't know. And, and that I think is type of, it's, it's like a chapter in your life, you know, like there's a definitely a chapter where you just know it all. And then maybe you have that near miss or you have that friend that really knows more. And then you're like, Whoa, you know, your eyes get open to what you don't know. And then if you're hungry to learn, then this is an avenue to, to, you know, to learn that stuff. So I'm still curious. There are a number of different organizations offering courses and certifications and the like. (laughs) I'd love to hear how some of the folks in those organizations think of Mountain Sense or talk to you about it if it's a bit of like, hey man, get off our block. I mean, I'm sure not I'm sure there's not some singular monolithic response that you get. But I don't know. It strikes me that something like this could be viewed as pretty controversial or others uh, might not like it that you are in a way stepping out you know, and providing a new source of education. And yet you are also playing in these worlds, right? So how, how does this work in reality? How does it work in terms of my peers' perception of it? Yeah. Or the other organizations that are providing, say, like avalanche education? Both of those things. I, In general, my peers, my colleagues, guides have been like, why didn't I do that, you know? like good on you for taking the steps for, you know, making this stuff, um, available. And, and I, I haven't really heard much from the, the competition in terms of like the avalanche world. I mean that Airy and AAI American Avalanche Institute and Alaska Mountaineering School and Silverton Mountain School, I mean, Airy is the big dog on the on the block, and they have a franchise model where you know guides and instructors can pay into their product and get their their slideshow stuff and their you know coursework and their curriculum basically, and and then in return their outfit is given this stamp of validity of like we're an airy provider right and so that's the that's the value trade there and enough people myself included have gone through that product and been like wow i don't i wish there was more and i went through back back then it was like area one two and three and even after the my level three i was like I still, you know, stand at the top of a slope and being like, I still don't know if this is going to kill me or not. You know, like that's, that's bad. Like somehow, you know, and then like all the, there's this huge focus on like 
the swag shorthand and writing in the book and then how many blue books do you see out when you're actually touring zero I mean, that's been my experience. Unless somebody is in a course or just did a course within the last two days or is training for their next level up of courses. They're, you know, so that I just, you know, picked up on these shortcomings of the status quo. And it's like, all right, what if we just throw that all out and and then pick up what works and then we pick up what I've been using for the last decade. And not that I'm like the end all be all by any stretch of the imagination of what's right but i can say what people don't use and so then don't teach that you know like we don't have to do that and and the you know the airy and the american avalanche association which is the governing board that oversees the american uh different different organizations and they, you know, people want to get their A3 stamp of approval or it's, what do they call it? It's very, it's very specific. I got in trouble for saying the wrong thing. Be recognized as an A3 provider is you pay 200 bucks. They look over your curriculum. If it meets the, you know, checks all the boxes, then you can say you're recognized as an A3 provider. And, and my course did that in conjunction with two days uh, with the guide service in Salt Lake City. And and so then now I don't really want to fit in that box because I think it's a disservice to recreationalists to say, we're going to take your rec one. It's three days. We're going to do a Zoom call. And then we're going to do two days in the field. There's going to be 18 people in your classroom. And then we're going to have you know, three guides and, or two guides and 12 people at six to one ratio, you go nowhere, you know, cause somebody's going to have snowshoes on or somebody's going to have, you know, be cutting their skins in the, in the parking lot. And so you don't really see terrain in the way that you can with a smaller group. And so it's like, all right, huge class size Two, you know, that's a problem. Let's make it smaller. Um, let's, let's pre- chum all the water is what i call it chum the water with this education of videos that people will actually watch because the the other videos again bias opinion are very boring they're they are factually 100 accurate board certified accurate very boring very dry and it's hard for people to get through it and i've talked to you know like i'm very curious about this so i ask everybody and again bias here they might not you know they might know that i have these courses and so whatever but um and so it's like this is important stuff like people need to know this stuff and you know i see on the facebook groups like hey i got my rec level one i'm looking for a partner if i see that as like their accolade i'm like that means nothing you know <laughs> like and so it's like well let's let's make something that means something because it's harder and let me step back just a little bit the so the rec one is three days and in my opinion it's just designed to scare you like what's avalanche train where's the bulletin here's a beacon for like two seconds just check the forecast and then if it's green go i mean they don't say that but that's what people walk away with uh basically and and then they're very scared of all avalanche terrain. I think the the biggest takeaway for a rec one in two days, somebody should be able to say, this is non avalanche terrain and I'm going to ski that, you know, like where is non avalanche terrain? Yes, that's my spot. That's for rec one. But people stop there. They don't take rec two. Like if you look at the numbers, which I haven't done, I don't know how to access those, but just talking to people, like everyone takes rec one and very, very few people take rec two. So in mountain sense, I just combine the two. If you want to get a mountain sense certification, there's digital certification, there's um, avalanche certification, which implies that you've done in person as well. And that means that you've done basically the important parts of rec one and rec two. And and four field days with a certified guide. And so that's what's new this year is this certified guide in the field part of it. And it's uh, 
you know, I right now I just have six other IFMGA guides that have put dates on the calendar for people interested and it's a five to one ratio. So six people total guide and then five and that's it. So it's a small, small crew and you do one rescue day. So do all the beacon and the shoveling and the probing and the sled packaging. So someone blows their ACL, you need to have a sled to haul them out or to at least provide some heat and some, you know, so, so they don't go shocky on you. And, and, and also how to technically lower with a rope. So there's a little bit of ski mountaineering in there as well. And those, I would just say, are basic rescue skills. And if people come to the table with, like, I know what a beacon is. I know how to turn it to search. Like, I've been doing this for a while. Okay, now we're going to do a multi-burial search. You need to do it under seven minutes. And so with a small group, you can lever up and lever down. And so everybody's going to walk away being challenged and, and you know, showing like you're not going to show up to a mountain sense course to just be fluffed, you know, and be like, oh, wow, you are so great at all of this stuff. I'm so impressed. You're there to be pruned and you're going to, you know, it's because the IFMGA guide has this huge amount of experience, real world experience to get to where they got to have that certification and then use that certifications. And, and so they can say, this is where the rubber meets the road. Here's how you're going to be able to use this. And this is what I've seen, you know, here's a story to drive home the point. And, and then the three, the next three days of the four days in the field are for gradually handing the reins over to the skiers. And so by day three, if it's appropriate, determined by the guide, it will be totally student led. And I'm just stealing that straight from the Knowles or Outward Bound uh, solo days, you know, because everyone that does those courses, like, oh, my solo experience was so cool. Like, and you'll have direct feedback from the guide while they stand back and say, you know, all right, guide me and, and, you know, pick the route given the avalanche conditions, you know, get, get together, communicate with me on how to put this tour together. And then, with that certification, you can go into actual avalanche strain, complex avalanche strain, if the you know group is ready for that and if conditions allow for that. So it, it's it's basically what I wanted to have instead of what I got when I went through the avalanche education you know curriculum. Mm-hmm. It was well laid out. Yeah, I think that was a very helpful picture of what people would be getting and and why um, so well articulated. Before I let you go, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on safety tools or safety gear and equipment. Just some of the things that either you yourself personally lean on the hardest or, because this is a different question, the tools or gear that you wish that you know the vast majority of people traveling in the mountains you wish they had on them and or you wish they really really understood how to use those things okay uh i think i can tackle both of those the first one i would say is having guide gps or similar with offline maps on your phone with a route line. So if you're in the snow and it's a whiteout, you cannot use a map and compass if it's dark. So like take the Elk Mountain Grand Traverse, you know, like you need to have a route line. Map and compass does not help you in at 1 a.m. when you can't see anything. Similar in a whiteout, when you can't see anything, you need to have that that uh, route line and and know how to plot a line or find a line, a GPX file online and and put it on your phone and then have a map with that line offline. <laughs> There's a lot of lines in that a lot sentence. Of lines. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we go over that in the in the course, of course. But so that's one for sure. And then, you know, using a shovel beacon probe for sure. I think specifically on that is knowing at least you're beacon enough to do a group check at the trailhead and 
you know, put it in group check mode and do, you know, that, cause that gives you range check. It gives you searching, sending, and it's fast. Um, I, I like the Mammut Bearbox S beacon and, you know, you just turn it on, hit group check, and then they walk past you three meters apart and boom, you got, you know, you got all of those tests in there and it takes no extra time. So that's really like gear that, that costs me nothing is, is pretty, pretty valuable, I would say. And then the other part of that question is, um, tech bindings that people, if, if you're going to be in the backcountry, you need to have tech bindings as opposed to a frame binding because they're six pounds versus one pound. And the reason for that, they are more finicky. They are, you know, you got to get the snow out of them and everything. But the reason for that in my mind is that fitness is, or lack of fitness is what causes most injuries and accidents in the mountains. So if you're tired because you're hiking up a huge ski and binding and boot, you're going to make poor decisions. I mean, this has been, there's a lot of science to support. Like when you're fatigued, you make poor decisions. And if you're fatigued because of a bad gear choice, because your pack is heavy, your skis are heavy, then you're just setting yourself up for a disaster where if you have lighter stuff, then you can make better decisions. It's like, it kind of justifies spending, you know, like getting a resort set up and getting a backcountry set up as opposed to, a, you know, a binding that does both, but does each of them poorly. I mean, I I was there too. Like my first binding was a Naxo binding. It was awful, oh but God. I was so psyched. Yeah. 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 It was like, it was so heavy. And anyway, so yeah, lightening up, anytime you can lighten up your load, that's a, that's a safety concern or um, you're addressing safety to some level in my mind. Um, and then the final thing on gear that I wish more people would have is an extra base layer in their pack. I use, I often am shooting with a DSLR camera and I just have a extra wool base layer that I use as my camera's uh, case. I just wrap it up and then that goes in my pack. And so that if I need to stop because of whatever fill in the blank reason, I can get down, to, you know, take off my sweaty shirt and put on that dry shirt and now put on all my other jackets. And that is a huge boost in survivability of, of, a, of a dire situation. Um, probably more than like having a, a big, big puffy, you know, you probably should have a big puffy when you go out, but like a huge puffy or huge mitts, if you can put on a dry base layer, that's really, really important. Um, and yeah, I mean, we could talk about gear. Like uh, I love gear. Let's see what else is, uh, a good waxing your skins. I think that's pretty important to have back to the whole, especially on the fatigue side of things, right? This part of the conversation, we we nuance this a lot around here at Blister. The like, how light is too light? How heavy is too heavy? And our thought on that is like, well, who are you? You know, where are you going? What are you doing in the backcountry and those types of things? But because and, and it is people who listen to this show regularly will know in our Gear 30 podcast, I do think that lighter is not always better. And especially when it comes to the going down part of the equation, if you're in really, really sticky snow or really variable snow or, you know, dealing with difficult crusts, um, that stuff, like the lighter the gear, the less the damping and suspension, and that can lead to its own problems and super lightweight tech bindings that basically are on or off can lead to, you know, issues in terms of uh, when it comes to knees. So frame bindings, yeah, I, I'm very much on record. I'd love to just see those retired 
um, for the vast, vast majority of people. But I am very interested in the world where we do have things like a, you know, a Duke PT binding or a shift binding where you're no longer have to clamp into a tech toe. And again, depending on the mission, depending on the day, depending on the objective, I don't think those are the solutions for everyone on all times for all purposes. Nothing is. And so like, let's just think people, right? But I think those are just some of the things where it is actually really valuable for people to at least think through, like, what are the pros and cons? What are the trade-offs? Because it's all trade-offs. It's all trade-offs, right? So anyway, I'm not sure that you would and I would disagree about that, but we still hear from people who kind of come in and are just convinced upon walking in, never having really spent much time in the in the mountains, that like I should just get on all the lightest shit in terms of binding ski and boot. And I'm not at all comfortable with this sort of beginner assuming that, as opposed to an extremely experienced guide having arrived to that position. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, and I was that person for sure. I I tried to go as light as I could. I was, you know, doing the Cosmic series, and you know, was using that same setup in the backcountry skiing and racing and in the resort when I would ski the resort, which was not as often as I was backcountry skiing at the mm-hmm. time. But I definitely have taken uh, tech bindings in the resort, and I had you get a kick out of this. Uh, I had no leashes, no brakes. And had a ski pop off, and it it was on the Paradise Run, and I was at the time it was just like below where they had the half pipe. I don't know where they have it now, but yeah. anyway, high up on the mountain, maybe a third of the way down, and that ski went all the way down, and it hit the Paradise Lodge uh, like patio area, going a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> and it was I could have totally killed somebody, and I was like. Uh, maybe wrong tool for the job, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I was also, you know, I had, I didn't have money to have seven pairs of skis. Yeah. And so it was, you know, there's, there's those, you know, restrictions as well. But no, I, I mean, I would say that the, the binding that's the closest thing to having the lateral release and not fatiguing your legs, because I, in, from guiding uh, a bunch of ski clients, the, if their legs are tired, it doesn't matter what binding there is because think yep. about how many resort bind, how many people in the resort That's blow right. out their ACL, right? Yep. yep. People blow out their ACL all the time in the resort. Yep. And so it's not like you get this this bigger frame binding and it's ACL proof. The fatigue is what is going to you know like if you if you get bucked and you can't bring that back and you just do this twisting backwards fall pop you know pop there goes your season and so the lighter the binding is the lighter the ski is then you're you're going to be less fatigued of course you could also just pick a smaller objective that would solve the problem as well but the uh, ski trop vario 2.0 binding has some release and it and you can quote me on this one. I think in the next fifth, 10, 10 to 15 years, whenever the patent expires on Ski Trob's toe piece, everybody will have that toe piece. It is far superior than any spring out there. It's light, it's and it and it's versatile and, and like you can get on their website and see how it moves differently. But I tour with that and have toured with that for basically exclu- exclusively for six years or so it's on all my skis all my wife's skis and i can tour with that unlocked it's it will it will stay on in most conditions if it gets icy or something i'll lock it um or if i'm in no fall terrain firm snow i'll lock it but when i'm skiing down it is unlocked and it does not pre-release you know when i don't want it to uh, and that binding, I think, is great because a lot of people will take a tech binding and be like, I don't want my ski to pop off, so I'm going to ski it locked. And that is when you're really putting your your knees at risk. So if you can, you know, and that the ski drop binding is the only one I personally trust to to ski unlocked 
in most conditions, most situations, especially an avalanche train. I want to let you get back to your time in Greece. Final thoughts, um, again, as we're rolling into a uh, another winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, I just think in general, we love getting that messaging out. Like, let's all do refreshers, practice, read or reread a book or watch new films, etc. And so, um, I'd love to have you end with just making the case once again for 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 mountain sense for somebody who's like, okay, yeah, maybe I have done that, you know, level one airy course or whatever. If they go to mountain sense, give a sense of where they should start or go check out this preview. If you want to get a sense of, is this going to be your cup of tea or not? The floor is yours. All the courses have a hundred percent money back guarantee for a year. So you can try any of them. And if you don't like it, ask for a refund. That's totally great. I've had over 3,000 people enroll in all the different courses, and I've had maybe 10 people ask for a refund. So in my mind, anyway, that means that what I'm selling here is helpful for people, and, and it's worth the time and worth the money. And, and that's my goal, really. And so... Yeah, and there's some there's some different uh, little previews that you can go and you know click around, and and then the other big thing is like if you have a question or something, reach out. Like the there's like five different ways to contact me, and I'm pretty good at getting back to people, and that's for customers and non-customers as well. I I do I really enjoy this stuff and and talking about it and. Um, helping people out, whether it's with a rock anchor or with a, which ski should I get? Or, you know, that kind of thing. I actually had a a girl reach out and was like, yeah, I heard, you know, I was reading this thing and uh, you're talking about your relationship with your wife and that was, you know, any more on that? And it's like, yeah, you know, I'll talk, you know, so, so I'm available is my point. And the, I think the other big thing is, when it comes to avalanche education, be curious about what you might not know. And and so I think to rise that to the surface is plan a trip to somewhere you've never been before. What would you want to know that you might not know? Or what's keeping you from doing that? You know, And there might be an answer somewhere in the chapters of the Mountain Sense curriculum that's going to empower you to take that trip to take the lead of that trip and and or at least get you on the path to that direction because the world is i mean there's so much to ski and so much to do and and so many places to go and with knowledge i think we can do that a lot a lot better and and have a lot more fun with a lot more people well mark this has been cool appreciate what you're doing and um again i think just for people to have a another source to go to to learn and exercise their curiosity and maybe find a medium that they just connect with better than some of the alternatives. These are just very, very positive things in my view. And uh, so appreciate what you're doing. And uh, it's been fun too, as we kind of mentioned, you and I know a, a number of the same folks and um, it's fun to see you know, somebody like an Ian Havlick, who I love and have so much respect for that he is, you know, part in it and teaching, uh, you know, one of these in-field courses. And uh, you mentioned Andy Sovic and, and uh, yeah, so it's cool to see alignment with some people that I really respect and think are doing very good work in these areas. So, um, yeah, uh, nice to connect today. And people, as Mark said, there is a money back guarantee on this. So, uh, I think anyone listening to this does not have a good reason not to go take a look at uh, what Mark has put together here. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, the time. and It's been fun to, fun to chat with you. Excellent. All right, Mark. Well, enjoy Greece. I'm going to get there someday. Uh, but in the meantime, take good care of that place for me and uh, hope the climbing stays good. Sounds good. All right, have a good one. 
Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Mark for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And just a reminder, Blister members will get 40% off four Mountain Sense snow courses. And as you heard Mark say in this conversation, there is a money-back guarantee that is good for a year. So Blister members, check this one out. And if you aren't a Blister member and you're just being stubborn about that whole thing, well, you can get 30% off Mountain Sense courses for the month of October 2022. So cool stuff there. And these are good opportunities to brush up on your backcountry education. So take advantage of that, folks. All right. That is all we've got for you today. And we will talk to you later this week over on all of our other podcasts that we've got going around here. All right, everybody. Take care.